Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Fulgham. And I'm Sasha Smulders. This is The Sandman, Issue 1, Sleep of the Just. Hello and welcome to The Dreaming, the Sandman read-along podcast. I am Joe Fulgham, as probably mentioned in the intro that I haven't recorded yet. And with me... I'm Sasha Smulders. We're going to be reading along, starting with issue one of The Sandman. I have been a Sandman reader since... I, I don't know the exact issue number, but my history with Sandman goes back to being trapped up in a cabin in Cultist Lake by the winter, and I couldn't leave. And at the time, I was kind of an X-Files, like a... Not X-Files, X-File, like meaning X-Men comics. I was big into superhero comics. Uh, I read all that stuff. And then my friend Jim Allison said... Hey, you got to read these Sandman comics if that's what you want. You want something to read. And I just fell in love almost instantly and started collecting it. I think it was around issue 60 or so. So it wasn't done. And then just started collecting the collected graphic novels. Uh, you, on the other hand, Sasha. I've never read them. I'm, right. uh, I've been a Neil Gaiman fan for, I probably read my first Neil Gaiman book when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the first one I read was Stardust. And I loved a lot of his stories like Neverwhere and the kind of stories that take place between different planes of reality um, right. and Nancy boys, ones like that. Yeah. Um, so became very, very enamored with his writing and his character choices. Right. But never read any of his comics ever. I just never yeah. picked them up. I'm not a huge comic reader. The, the only kinds of comics I've read have been uh, a few issues of Buffy um, and uh, like the odd comic book that i would find right. places and and like a weird amount of of japanese <laughs> manga romances uh <laughs> notice me senpai right <laughs> that kind of thing and knowing that i asked you to read before we did this i asked you to read scott mcleod's understanding comics yes. which is uh, a really good intro for people uh who want to learn the language of reading comics in case you're not sure of what things mean about what panel positioning and he goes through it, just there's so much stuff there. You can get a copy at your local library if you want. I'm pretty sure you can find copies of it on the internet in mm-hmm. PDF. You can buy it uh, lots of places. Great book, Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud. Uh, highly recommended if you'd like to get a little better at reading comics. It's, it's like taking a 101 course in comic books. Right. So let's just get straight into it. We will have expected for you to have read Sandman at least issue one right now. I know that a lot of my friends have said, I've never read it. I'm going to read along with you. So if you want to do that full on, we are not going to spoil anything past mm-hmm. the current issue. However, uh, we expect that you've read the whole thing. So we, if you think that you're going to read along page by page, we might, we're going to mention things that might be at the end of this particular issue. So spoilers for issue one, but that'll be it. Yeah. So the, the space that I'm in, in in this is that I literally just sat down and read issue one. Yeah. I've not read any of the other issues. And the ideal way to to read along with us would be to, before listening to this, sit down and read issue one. So if you haven't yeah. done that yet, just pause. We'll wait for you and go and read issue one. Hey, we're back. All oh, right. wow. That was so good. <laughs> so issue one of The Sandman is called Sleep of the Just. That references an Elvis Costello song of the same name, which had actually come out about three years earlier. Oh. I suppose that you need the, the storyline Neil likes to write in story arcs is called More Than Rubies. And this appears in the collection Preludes and Nocturnes, which is probably where most people are reading this. Sash is reading from the Absolute Sandman, which has the first three collections combined. Cover date of Sandman issue one was January of 1989, although it was in store in November 29th of 1988. Written by Neil Gaiman, illustrated by Sam Keith, Mike Dringenberg, and Malcolm Jones III, colored by Robbie Bush, and lettered, uh, as I believe, every issue of The Sandman by Todd Klein. Here's my summary for issue one. An English hedge magician trying to capture death instead captures her brother, Dream. The world, and eventually his son, pays the price. Whoa, 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 whoa. Her? Oh, spoiler. No, I'm into it. That's cool. I just assumed, see, that's, I live in a sexist culture, and I just assumed death would be male. I think <laughs> the Sandman actually uses the her pronoun when he says... Uh, no, he says, I'm her, I, I'm, 
death, death i'm the brother death's i'm younger brother he death's younger brother i'm pretty sure he doesn't sorry, he gender death yeah i would have noticed okay. like i i feel yeah. like i would have noticed yeah. female death well there's a spoiler i apologize but if you uh look at anything sandman you're gonna see a uh, death t-shirts and stuff like that we're definitely going yeah we have death on the wall so that's death. okay so we have a poster on our wall that i have <laughs> i'm just like hey there's this like hot like motorcycle chick or whatever yeah um and i had no idea that that's a poster of death on our There's wall that's dream there. sister right there wow. yeah on the wall we'll put a picture of that up on the dreaming.motivedust.com in the show notes where you can find us all yeah. uh, i have a dramatis personae listing here although my plan is to actually go through uh page by page so just very briefly we've got dr hathaway who's the senior curator of the royal museum mm-hmm. we have roderick burgess who is lord magus uh, Magus is the Latinized singular of mage, so he's basically the Lord Magus. Mage. Magus? Okay. Uh, I believe it's a hard G. Uh, people who know Latin better than me can correct me. Mm. Uh, he is uh, Lord Magus of the Order of Ancient Mysteries. Uh, you know, pretty typical, uh, I am a magician of some great power <laughs> title. We have the Sleepers, who are mentioned uh, quite often, Ellie Marston, Daniel Bustamante, Stephen Wasserman, Unity Kincaid. We have Alex Burgess, who's Roderick's son. Dream who has several names, but I don't think we've had very many mentioned in this. Uh, the He's the protagonist of this entire series, is called the Sandman, but I don't think, and a spoiler is again, ever to his face. He's never called, okay. hello, Sandman. It's just people call, oh, he's the Sandman. So he probably should be called the Dream. For well, we'll call him dream. dream. Just Dream. He has some other names, but I'll wait until those are revealed before using them on these. Mm. Uh, and then we've got Ruth Van Sykes and Ethel Cripps, uh, who are highly ranked members of the Order of Ancient Mysteries. Uh, they have an affair and flee, taking Dream's powerful artifacts with them. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the cover. The cover of every issue of The Sandman was created by Dave McKean. This issue features artwork of Dream flanked by shelves containing various objects. Dave was inspired by the poster for the movie The Belly of an Architect. I found that poster and that image will be up in the show notes on the dreaming.motivedust.com. And there it is right there with Brian Dennehy in the middle. And you can see it's got the shelves with interesting objects on the side oh yeah it's it's like so similar and this is something i when i read these uh and had collected these through i didn't know this until just recently like i started looking through and researching very specifically for this podcast found this out and was like i wonder if i can find that image and then found it thanks because we live in this internet (laughs) age where you can easily find everything so there it is i share it to you and it really shows you how much artists borrow or steal from each other because it is bang on just an homage to that yeah there's so much in this that comes later in the story like like especially the cat pops Mm -hmm. out to me and like we've got time and i don't i don't know what the orchids are for um there's loki running around yeah you might Um, hear our dog jumping off laps and stuff yeah and we've got a a buddha Mm -hmm. uh probably in reference to uh the like later years of what is the what is the cult? Where what is that? that the Order called? of Ancient Mysteries. The Order of Ancient Mysteries. So when Alex Just is teaching it, yeah. and he's like, he's like, oh, we'll like learn about yoga and stuff, but don't do LSD in the house. Yeah. Like that whole period of time where he's talking about tantric and whatnot, and yeah. The Sandman image in the center was inspired by Peter Murphy, the ex-Bauhaus singer, because when we know this because when artist Mike Gringenberg first saw the original sketches for the character, he said, he looks just like Peter Murphy. And apparently Dave and Neil were relieved that he looked like someone. Oh. There are some very early uh, images of the Sandman that were sketched out. One where he looks like Bono from U2. (laughs) I can see that. Yeah. uh, They're in the actual, if you've got the Preludes and Nocturnes collection they should be in the back they were never released as actual images anywhere but you can see one uh, that's very definitely bono Mm. Uh, the first eight covers were conceived primarily as a portrait gallery so you're going to notice that of these okay so here we go so uh straight into the comic right with page one i like to mention this i don't know how significant it is but the opening shot is of a house roderick burgess's mansion you're going to notice this through a bunch of the issues that we're going to start off with houses uh I think it might be a coincidence, but uh, at least the first three are, bam, first shot, house. Roger Bush's mansion is in Witchcross, uh, United Kingdom, which is an, a, an existing small town uh, of only about a thousand people. It's about midway between London and the English Channel. Oh. And it really does look like it's a place where a bunch of rich people's mansions are. So, uh, But it's also W-Y-C-H, Witchcross. I just like how, how many... Um... Like gargoyle, creepy type 
yeah. things were seen as you look at it. Like you've got these two big imposing gargoyles like right on the gate and it's like a pointed gate, which I can just imagine somebody like falling on and getting skewered. Yeah. And and then even the house itself has all these little points that like obviously I think there's supposed to be two gargoyles, but it almost looks like it has bat ears or horns. Those gargoyles look very Cthulhu-ish. Like it looks like they have like tentacle the mouths and yeah. they've got the wings. So I, I imagine those being some kind of Cthulhu monsters. Yeah, very Yeah, it looks occult. like it has a tail and, and mm-hmm. the house itself almost seems to have devil horns. But imagine if you <laughs> oh, does, yeah. if you zoomed in, those are probably gargoyles like hanging off the side, right. but from zoomed out. And also the big round window is like a is like the third eye and mm-hmm. all sorts of yeah, because houses if you think of it as having a face, it's yeah. a very creepy face. Yeah. And we get this huge demonic door knocker too. Yeah, yeah, with the knocker in the demon's mouth. And it's yeah, got pointy fantastic. teeth. It's, it's got like pointy little teeth. razor teeth. Yeah. As we move through, Roderick Burgess acquires the last item he believes necessary to, quote, trap death in an occult yeah. ritual. Uh, that ritual doesn't exactly fail, will you notice? The book that, that's mentioned is the Maudlin Grimoire. It's spelt Magdalene, but uh, Neil Gaiman himself says uh, Maudlin is marginally more likely to be the university than to refer to the biblical Mary Magdalene. And the name of the university is pronounced Maudlin. Oh. It's, uh, it's a college in Cambridge, and it's uh, also a college in Oxford, and both are pronounced Maudlin in British usage. So we've got over on page three, we've got uh, the Dreamers. Ellie Marston's mother is reading from Through the Looking Glass, a section where Tweedledee and Tweedledum attempt to convince Alice she's just a character in the king's dream, and if he wakes up, she'll cease to be. And she finds this very terrifying. I'm particularly drawn to uh, Stefan Wasserman. Wasserman. Stefan Wasserman. Mm-hmm. It's it's really sad. Like the idea of this this kid who lies to go to the Great War, thinking he's going to be this like heroic soldier, and he's only fourteen, or he's almost fourteen, so he's thirteen years old. Yeah, and like they're talking about how he's going to. Uh, He's going up over the top again, which means he's he's coming running, up out of the trench and running out across of his no man's land. Yeah. yeah, and trench warfare being just pretty much one of the most horrifying uh, places yeah. I could imagine being as a thirteen-year-old. Right. Oy. Yeah. The the eyes in that photo yeah. of him are just two like big white pools of him just. And the and the PTSD, other for sure. The other two soldiers are smoking, and you can't see their eyes, and they just mm-hmm. look so much older than him. They look like you know the kind of soldier he thought he'd be but he is just uh so sad (laughs) as we move on we meet roderick burgess's son alex and you'll notice the we've got a little bit of their back and forth here where he insists that his son call him magus instead of father creepy Uh, so he's a shitty dad is what what we're trying to say here the alistair that burgess mentions is alistair crowley who's Mm. a famous english occultist and ceremonial magician of the time People are pretty familiar with the name. Yeah, Crowley, very into sex magic. Sex magic, demonology. He was, whether or not he believed it or was just trying to. I actually, know, I had his. Um, I had his. I probably still have them. His tarot cards. Oh, yeah? That he put out the um, Toth tarot cards. They're mm-hmm. beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. And I, I remember reading in the little book that came with them and I was trying to like, oh, yeah, I'm going to learn how to read tarot cards. <laughs> had all of this information about Aleister Crowley. And as like a teenager, I was reading it and being like, oh, my God, this is blowing my mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think. And that's the kind of thing that you take advantage of to go, yes, buy my book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. If you could attach Aleister Crowley's name to anything, people will buy it. Yeah. So we head on to the actual ritual. Burgess named several demon lords. None of these, I'm going to tell you, are all that significant to the story, but they're mostly real demon names. Uh, we've got Namtar, Alatu, Morax, Niberius, Klesh, Vipar, Maimon, Ashimadeva, Mabarim, and Horvendile. And I've looked up every single one of those for you. Again, none of these are all that relevant. If you want to just ignore these, you don't have to remember them. But uh, Namtar or Namtaru or Namtara, meaning destiny or fate, was a hellish minor deity in Mesopotamian mythology, the god of death and minister and message of An, Arishkagal, and Nergal. Alatu is an underworld goddess modeled after the Mesopotamic goddess Arishkagal and worshipped by Western Semitic peoples, including the Carthaginians. Morax is a demon, great earl and president of hell, having 32 or 33, depending on the authors, legions of demons under his command. Nabarius is supposedly the most valiant marquess of hell and has 19 legions of demons under his command. 
Klesh uh, may be something Gaiman made up, but it does mean snake in Navajo. And uh, I found some references to snake people called Klesh, but that could be a modern creation, so I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Vapar is a strong great duke of hell and rules 29 legions of demons. Maimon probably refers to Mammon, a demon of greed. Uh, Ashamadeva is Persian and better known to Westerners as Asmodeus or Asmodeus. Maborim seems to be completely game and created. I'll have to ask Neil about that himself, maybe after he listens to this if he does. Horvandal is a demiurge in James Branch Cabell's stories who pulls the strings. What is happening here is Neil is showing off just how well he knows. I know, I know a lot of demons, demon okay, guys? Yeah. I know, like, just trust me. Right. I know a lot of demons. <laughs> I'm... Uh... <laughs> This scene is very powerful and I don't want to take away from it, but deep inside of me, the little 12-year-old boy could not stop uh, giggling at the idea of this room full of like men in robes going, come, 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 come. Uh, so there's that. Um, Are you saying it's like the the uh, crew of a porn set that's been shooting overly long? <laughs> that's what's going on in the actress's head right. over and over again. Just, like, can come. you just... Just get it over with. <laughs> On to page seven. The first appearance of our protagonist, although wearing a helm and gloves. He looks like a cloak. He looks like um like the Ood in Doctor Who a little bit. That's like the first impression I got. Yeah. I mean he's just got the trunk instead of yeah. all the wiggly bits. But it's like, yeah, like an ood or like an elephant, like a like a fly elephant. Right. Or uh, we watched Babylon 5 together. Do yes. You, do you remember the game? No. They were, they were a very minor race uh, and they had the weird helms, but they're oh. called Game, G-I-A-M. They're actually named after Neil Gaiman oh. and they look like the Dreams, I have uh, to, like, like Dreams helm there. I'll have to look back on that because I, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Burgess leaves Dream trapped in hermetic circle and takes his helm, pouch of sand, and ruby. Mm. The pouch of sand being pretty typical Sandman. Uh, attribute the ruby and the helm i believe were made up by neil uh, and while he's trapped the world starts changing yeah so we've got this one entity in 1916 becomes trapped by this hedge mage who apparently believes himself to be an amazingly great magician right he thinks he's going to trap death and then it seems gets l like lucky or unlucky later on dream tells him that he's lucky by capturing Dream instead. And the, mm. so the world outside changes. Some people succumb to the sleepy sickness while others are cursed to never sleep. And the sleepy sickness is actually a real thing. It's called encephalitis lethargica. And it's an atypical form of encephalitis, which is an inflammation of the brain. And it was first described in 1917 oh. by neurologist Konstantin von Economo. And between 1915 and 1926, an epidemic of encephalitis lethargica spread around the world. Nearly 5 million people were affected, a third of whom died in the acute stages. Uh, and while there are many hypotheses, even today scientists admit they're unsure of the cause of encephalitis lethargica. There have been outbreaks of similar diseases, but uh, so one caused by, I believe, the tsetse fly mm -hmm. uh, it was carried around, so it's kind of some kind of disease for that. With this, we don't know. And actually, if you know, the, remember the Robert De Niro movie Awakenings? That's actually based on these people that caught this sleepy sickness at exactly the time that Neil set it up. So, of course, Neil went backwards and found, knew about the sleepy sickness and was like, oh, that will be when. Why am I making this super powerful character in the DC universe that nobody's heard of? Oh, he's been trapped for a long time. Oh, look, here's a really cool thing that happened in real life in 1916. How about he's trapped since then? Oh. So he's tying the real world uh, encephalitis lethargica into the story and also explaining why nobody from the DC Comics knows about the super powerful dream character. That's clever. Yeah. That's, I, I just right? like how it, it sets in slowly. It's not instantaneously everyone can't sleep. And I feel like yeah. that would be something that someone might choose when writing is like, no, no one in the world ever sleeps. And I, I don't, I, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. In this, it's, it's very much, it's something that could be blamed on a virus or could be blamed on this right. or that or the other. Right. And so it lends itself to uh, a certain amount of disbelief um, mm -hmm. or skepticism. Uh, and yeah, so I like how it sets in slowly and how it affects each of our uh, four 
sleepers? Are they called sleepers? Is that what we're I'm calling, calling them? them the sleepers? The yeah. Sleepers. Uh, it, it affects each of them differently. Although one of them doesn't sleep at all, he uh, he right. pretty much can't sleep and then kills himself. Um, and I didn't quite. Is there a reference um, for Daniel's story with the city made of clouds? Is that is that a reference to something? Because it feels like it's they're kind well, of building it up like that, but then I didn't. I don't know if I felt quite the maybe, same emotional connection to I, it. I don't want to spoil anything. Oh, okay. Some of these characters we may see again. Some mm. we might not. Some you might just get hints about what they're about. So I would leave that for now. I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. Okay. Obviously, some of them are going to be mentioned again. Yeah. And I think some of them are. <sighs> I'm not going to spoil it. We'll get there. When we when we get I'm to the so other intrigued. references, possibly very, very late in it, I will mention some of these characters again. I mean and some of them sooner than that. I I have to say, from naming alone, Unity Kincaid has to come back. You don't give a character a name like Unity Kincaid well, and not have yeah. her come back. Also sure. the like the, the what happens what's going on later. further. But like just yeah. the first moment I read the character's name, I was like, Yeah, you mm-hmm. you're gonna do things. You and, have a name. Uh, I will note on page 11, panel 2 mentions morphine. Frederick Saturner, first, who first isolated the substance in the early 1800s, originally named the substance morphium after the Greek god of dreams, Morpheus, for its oh. tendency to cause sleep. Huh. So morphine is named from Morpheus, a god of sleep. Have you dreams. ever taken morphine? No, I don't think I know. I have. Yeah? It's a it's a thing. <laughs> it is a time. It's a time. Okay. It's a time. I mean, it's a time without How, time. When, what, tell me about your morphine experience. Well, when I was a kid, I was, I think, six or seven years old. I had a pot of, a big bowl, actually, of still boiling water dumped in my lap. Um, I've seen the scars. Yeah. And, uh, and so I actually burnt... Uh, over 10% of the skin on my body uh, with second degree and third degree water burns. Mm-hmm. And I was in hospital for several weeks regrowing my skin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> isolated in my own room because I was a child, so I didn't have a great immune system and right. had so much like skin that was unhealthy. Uh, and so they gave me morphine in the hospital and... <laughs> Hilariously, the men in my family, my stepfather and my step-grandfather, um, both came to sit with me and tell me stories of their worst burns. So I have this this weird morphine dream kind of memory of the two of them sitting with me talking about times that they fell asleep in the sun and had huge blisters on them and, and uh, that kind of thing. Right. So it's such a weird time in my life. Like it was it was very strange. It, morphine is, especially as a child, morphine is a very weird thing to take. I believe you. I yeah. believe you. So going on, we've got uh, Burgess making some demands on page 12, and Dream doesn't seem to respond at all. He does have a few, we've got a few word balloons here, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like he Burgess hears them. It's It mostly seems to be Dream talking to himself uh, inside his little cage. I like I like the the way that the circle um, is, what's that kind of lens? Fisheye fish lens? Yeah. yeah. How they've managed to draw the fisheye look without... Um, right. That's what Dream yeah. sees from inside his glass jar that yeah. he's in. Uh, and then Professor Hathaway, who Burgess has been blackmailing since the maudlin grimoire, as he said, you know, he gave us the book, he is ours, mm. commits suicide, leaving a tell-all note. Uh, Burgess, however, actually does have some magic and burns that note. So everybody else sees just this, huh, suicide with no note. Oh, well. Yeah, so is that like a giant crystal ball they're looking through? It looks like he's got a crystal ball, yeah. And then yeah. you can burn things through it? Yeah, so mm. he's he's not powerless. He actually is a real magician. He can cast spells. Although burning a piece of paper at a range is, you know, that's probably something that Dream would call hedge magic, right? Yeah. It's not super powerful, but uh, useful, certainly useful. Alex Burgess finds an image of Morpheus on page 15 in the Paginarum Fulvarum. And uh, do you know what that translates to? No. Well, Fulvarum means yellow and Paginarum means pages. Oh. So he looks them up in the yellow pages. <laughs> so for those of what you who a might... weird Latin <laughs> joke. <laughs> right, yeah. 
So for those of you who maybe are a little too young for this uh, and don't actually have yellow pages anymore, I know that I don't accept them because I have the internet now. Uh, the yellow pages are is a phone book of uh, businesses. And I believe in England, the yellow pages are actually where you look up people and the, there are other pages you look up businesses. We we have yellow pages and white pages. Right. And I, yeah. think, in, I think in England they're reversed. I'm going to have oh. to double check that. Though. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the Paginarum Fulvarum joke also appears in Terry Pratchett's Discworld. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh. Mm, I just, um, part of what I like here is the difference between Alex and his father as you mm-hmm. start to travel through here. And like, it just shows on this page here, his father being manipulative of him because his father's like, well, there's two, he either says, I already knew he was dreaming. Right. He, I already know he was dream or... I don't, he, it feels like he's being very manipulative of his son. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, you get to see at the end, you see um, Mr. Sykes, this this whole thing is, I know that the order will be safe in your hands if ever I forsake the material plane, A, eh, Mr. Sykes. And is that like, that's a dig? Because he's he's planning to then hand over the order to his son because his son figured this thing out on his own. He's mm-hmm. saying that, which Mr. Sykes being second in command, right. like this would be the reason why he yeah. does what he does because he was like, it was going to be mine, except Alex. And know, take a note it. of panel four here. Burgess says, Why do you think I ordered that none of the guards were to sleep? He had to be one of the endless. So which one? Not death, we knew. Death? We, not death. We knew that. Destiny then? Destiny. Desire. Desire. And what's Sykes looking at? He's looking at a picture. Oh, it's the is that the mistress? He's That's Ethel Cripps. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's a signed picture of her that says, Rod, your slave in love, Ethel. Oh. As he's mentioning desire. Oh. Interesting. One of the uh, so we've got dream, mm-hmm. death, destiny, desire. Okay. And they all start with D. Going on in nineteen thirty. We find out that that setup pays off right away. Yeah, Sykes runs off Ruth right away. Ruth Sykes and Ethel Cripps disappear with Dream's helm, ruby, and pouch, and 200,000 pounds, which I did the calculator. Uh, that's roughly 11 million pounds uh, in uh, today's pounds. So probably 15 to 20 million dollars US, <sighs> depending on what the exchange rate is. That's a lot of podcasts with that money. <laughs> that is a lot of podcast money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ruthven trades the helm to a demon for a protective amulet because as we've as has been established, Burgess can cast spells at a distance, right? Mm-hmm. He can seek out revenge when he wants to. And true enough, this does save him from Burgess's attempts to kill him with magic until Ethel leaves. She takes both the ruby and the protective amulet with her. And as soon as she does, uh, that spell is able to take effect. And I, I'm guessing... Somehow Burgess knows. He says, yes. And then I'm guessing cast the spell again. And we have our first truly horrific image of uh, an exploding head on the bottom right of page 17. He kind of looks like Jar Jar Binks in that image. In the exploding Cause, Yeah, because his eyes are oh, his eyes distant. Over his head. And then his tongue is sticking out. And it's it's like everything yeah. I ever dreamed would ever happen in Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one little image. I'm okay with that. I've noticed something in the art here, especially yeah. in um, when Sykes is with the demon and also in the picture where he and Ethel, Ethel, yeah. Ethel are, uh, are getting dirty, um, is how much the artist is loving to use glasses so glasses make us not see a character's eyes Mm -hmm. but then in a moment where someone is very frightened we do see their eyes over the glasses and when the when the two of them are are in silhouette you can see that she is holding his glasses behind his back and it allows them to it's it's so interesting like if a character can possibly have glasses um the artist has put them in glasses yeah. It's uh and and even some of the characters' glasses change over time and later on we get into when Alex is is dreaming later and his glasses change as he changes in mm-hmm. age in his own dream. And I, I don't yeah. That. yeah. Yeah, it's very fascinating as someone who wears glasses. Um I like it, you know. Show me some glasses representation, yo. So we've got page eighteen. And we go back to the sleepers. Yeah. Uh yeah. So we learned that Unity Kincaid had a baby in nineteen thirty two because of a rape while she was asleep. Mm -hmm. Uh, That would be 16 years after Dream was captured. And that somehow the universe has compelled Wesley Dodds to dress up in a cloak and mask 
what did we first see Dream in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as a way to balance out Dream being imprisoned. Wesley Dodds is actually the Golden Age Sandman. So DC Comics had a character, first appeared in uh, Action Comics number 40 in July of 1939. He was kind of a non-violent crime fighter uh, detective who used a gun that fired sleep gas cartridges so he could put people to sleep. Oh, Okay. See, I thought this was a really weird, like, three-panel throwaway. I was like, okay, this either needs to be a character that Neil is going to bring back and I'm going to get to read about later, or what the hell? (laughs) Well, so a bit of the history behind the Sandman, they wanted... Neil, uh, they liked a lot of the work that Neil had done, DC Comics like this. And they they said, do you want to revamp one of our existing characters? And they went through a bunch of different things. His first uh, that he wrote for them was Black Orchid. You can buy that graphic novel these days. It's quite good. And then they wanted him to do an ongoing series. And they went through a bunch of different things they couldn't let him do because other people were pick- taking them up. And he didn't want to deal with either of the two previous Sandmen. There have been uh, Wesley Dodds is one of them. There'll be another one that, of course, will get mentioned later. He wanted to come up with a brand new character. That turned into this. But being Neil, he weaves together all of the existing DC Comics lore into this new character. So yeah. he's retroactively decided that the reason that Wesley Dodds became the Sandman is that because Dream got imprisoned and the universe needed to somehow balance it out and needed somebody with a mask putting people to sleep. Oh, so right? he, yeah, so he retroactively so assigned so that character. So Dream to be a part is that powerful universe. that when he's missing, the universe goes, ah, oh, damn, we're going to have to okay. fix this somehow. You mentioned Black Orchid. Yeah. Is, that's a part of the, like, is that is Sandman a character in that? Or is no, Dream a character in no, that? No, no, absolutely. It's com- uh, except that it's in the DC universe completely unrelated. You don't have Do you, to read it at all. Okay, so we were talking about the cover image and how each of those images is related to something within the story. Mm-hmm. And there are at least two shelves that are full of orchids right. in that cover image. And yet... I don't remember seeing any orchids in this story so mm-hmm. far. So do you think that might be a reference to Possible. Neil's earlier work? Because it was maybe? Neil and Dave that did Black Orchid Those together. are specifically orchids like that they've drawn there. Yeah. Those are... It certainly could be uh, Remember Us from Black Orchid. Interesting. Here's the Sandman. I don't know. Hmm. I do know that they went, uh, they went out to shops in a little uh, place in England looking for tidbits to put on the shelves. They just okay. went out together and were like, let's find these. Uh, and I cannot remember which ones they found there. I think the Buddha, the cat, mm-hmm. and a few other things they specifically found in shops when they were just out looking for interesting things to put on the shelves. Well, the cat certainly comes back. The, yes, the cat is certainly there for sure. <laughs> so uh, we have Dream continuing to wait and Roderick Burgess just demanding, begging, and finally it looks like having a heart attack. Yeah, and and just how he goes from this sort of like gruff emotionless character not emotionless but um he's not empathetic at all he doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to love his son he doesn't seem to care about anyone and for him to just have this like three panels of slowly breaking down Mm -hmm. about how he's gotten old and how he shouldn't like i shouldn't have had to get old right he wanted to be immortal and he's and even earlier he was talking about oh if i ever leave this mortal plane like he's so fucking confident that he's not going to die and yet he becomes this old man yeah and the one thing he cares about is himself, it seems, right? Yeah. Now that he is dying, we get to see some actual emotion and empathy, or not empathy, but pathos from this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> he immediately gets a heart attack. And then, <laughs> and Dream oh. is just like waiting. <sighs> and so, he's not satisfied with watching his captor grow old and die. He's not satisfied no. with that. No. Because that's the natural order of things, probably. And he's only satisfied he by, just wants by real revenge. I, we're pretty sure he wants out. Yeah. Right now, he wants out. Yeah. Yeah. I'd want out of a bubble. So it's uh, 1955, 39 years now. The dream's been in prison. The three remaining sleeper stories continue. Uh, Unity's child would be 13 years old right oh. now. I'm glad you're keeping track of the time. I, well, I, I can't. I, I figured this is this was my job. Yeah. Was looking up details. Because I was like, wait a minute. Does all of this add up? And uh, it really does. When I see dates in these stories, my brain just kind of glosses over them in a weird, mm-hmm. like I don't recall what what time anything is set in. It's, yeah. Yeah. Unity's being, being taken care of. Her family obviously is fairly well off, mm-hmm. right? Because she's able to be put in these homes. There's no talk of her having to worry about anything, her, her family having troubles taking care of her. Yeah. In fact, she's got caretakers the whole time. Whereas in comparison, uh, the character of Daniel 
is sleeping in the streets. Yeah. And they do talk about he did have children. Like, so, like, they, they mentioned earlier in the story, his children miss him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he obviously went on to have kids and and kind of live more of a normal life than the two women in this story who've mostly just been asleep the whole time. But then he goes into a like a walking dream. Yeah. So he's he's living a dream all the he, time. Everybody they kind of think he's a zombie. Yeah. Or like they he's... they also reference like they think he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. They all have. I call them the sleepers, but they're all having sleeping or dreaming problems. Yeah. Like it's something has gone wrong with the universe, and they are affected by it yeah for but sure i do think it's it's very um stark the difference here when you see uh when you see the two women um being kind of taken care of uh institutionalized in some way and he is seen here just sitting on the side of the street and like sleeping in the street essentially mm-hmm. and it's very stark difference yep. between their situations uh, also good that he kind of, Neil went very international with this. There's people mm. from around the world. Daniel Bustamante is a, a person of color. And he's in Jamaica. And, and then where, Jamaica, where's Ellie? Uh, so, okay. So Ellie is in Toronto, Canada. Oh, there we go. So we've got a Canadian. Uh, Unity is English. Unity is in London, England. Stephen Wasserman was German. Stephen Wasserman? Oh, yeah. That's his name. He, Wasserman, yeah. Wasserman, World War One. He was on the German, German side. Oh. And then um, Daniel's in Kingston, Jamaica. Yeah. So that's so we've got cool. a pretty good international mix there. The the guess is probably that there are others. That this happened oh, of course. Too, right? I mean, they like they say is... that they say when Ellie goes into the uh, into the not the nursing home, but the she was in an, a different institution. Mm-hmm. They say that there was a lot of people there with the same thing. Yeah, right. yeah. They had that. Like I said, five million people in uh, encephalitis lethargica, nineteen sixteen. It was a, it was an epidemic. Is it a virus? They don't know. They don't know. Uh, oh. There was a thing like it that was caused by, I believe, a virus spread by an insect. Okay. Um, but it wasn't the same thing. So they're not mm. sure what caused that outbreak. That's huh. what's really interesting. It's a mystery. Oh. And Neil was like, oh, is this? Yeah. I'm going to take a chance to, you know, explain that mystery. So we get uh, confirmation. You can kind of uh, guess, but we get confirmation from Alex talking about Dream now. Uh, he doesn't need to eat, sleep, or breathe at least for 40 years. Uh, we can guess that means pretty much ever. Uh, and he's also described as a being of unknowable power. And this is when we first meet... Um, Alex's partner. Blonde guy. Mm-hmm. Mr. Blondieson. Um, Give him a name. Let's Daniel see. Craig is... <laughs> It's not his name. I know. <laughs> he looks like Daniel Craig. Yeah, Daniel uh, Craig would probably play him. I don't know where his name is in here. I'm just his uh, lover and lawyer, I believe. Is he his lover? C- certainly. Maybe not in this first page, but later on. I, t- I didn't get that impression reading it. Oh. My gaydar did not go off. They, I'm sure he calls him lover at some point. Hmm. Well, we'll find Ooh. out. He does say Alex Darling yeah. to him. It Alex Darling. With Alex Darling. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Oh, wow. Hmm. And he, but he doesn't believe in the magic, right? Yeah. And that's, that kind of seems to be the thing about the magic that Neil is dealing with in this and even that, that Burgess has. He has powers. He can do things. But I think he understands that it's dangerous to do it, right? Because there's dark powers and stuff like that. So there's not a lot of, I think, overt, flashy, look at me, cast a fireball or do a thing or abuse of it. So his lover kind of just thinks it's a way of making money. It's like, yeah, we just sell books and stuff. Alex doesn't really do magic either. His father was the one who did magic, who like cursed people from a distance. We only see Alex as obsessing over his father Mm -hmm. and writing his memoirs. And and, I mean, he did some magic when he was younger, but it doesn't really seem like he's actively a magic user in the same way that his father was. So, yeah. Yeah, well... Because he later on talks about teaching people certain things and mm-hmm. teaches them the safe stuff. Yeah. And he was a good student. So I think we can guess that Alex can do it. But I think unlike his father, he doesn't have that that desire to like live forever no matter what. No, he that, seems trapped. Like he's trapped in this life. Right. So he doesn't, yeah, he's not interested really in. Yeah, in his father decided his father the way was. his life would be. This is the way that it is. So he keeps doing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. also because he, he says, like, I can't release this guy. He's so powerful. And I'm like, I'm stuck with him trapped here. Right. So in 1955, the next page over from this, we have a repeat of the Roderick Burgess demands, except this time from Alex. 
And he's like, you know, I want the same stuff. And it's not told through the fish eye. It's seen sort of over Alex's shoulders. Mm-hmm. And you can you can even see sort of the body language. He's got his arms folded and his head down. He says hello. He's not like yeah. demanding, I think. He thinks he's being reasonable. Yeah. He probably saw his father as like demanding and pompous and well, arrogant. And he's like, no, look, we've got you captured. Come on, let's do this deal. Well, Alex is in this cowardly space, right? He didn't choose to, to bring... Yeah. dream in but now he's stuck with him and he can't like he can't do anything about it because he's gonna too do? afraid because if get... he lets him go he's worried what's going to happen to him yeah yeah i know because these things are ridiculously dangerous 1968 52 years post-imprisonment one of the guards in the bottom right has a t-shirt that says do what thou wilt buster yeah and it has a cartoon duck do what thou wilt and that shall be the whole of the law is a saying made famous by Aleister Crowley. It's kind of known as, and uh, Satanists have turned that into, uh, and it harm none or if it harms none, do as thou wilt. Mm-hmm. So it's very much a, a Satanist, chaotic, do whatever you want kind of thing. So we've got some cultists wearing pop culture Satanist t-shirts with basically <laughs> a Daffy Duck style character on, yeah. I guess. Yeah, interesting. And then uh, 20 years later, uh, well, actually, let's talk about this. So we've got the 1968, and he's teaching, you know, hippies, basically, about tantric sex and some sort of mystical yoga. But he won't let them do psychedelics in the Kund- house. Kundalini yoga. Yeah, kundalini yoga is a ty- an actual type of yoga. Mm. It's got a, some mystical explanations behind it. <clears throat> and you can see, like, even in the characters when he's he's got this demon creature in his hand yeah so, um, so, so it looks like he can do some magic yeah he's doing like illusionist kind of magic and there's mm-hmm. this person who's got like obviously a joint hanging out of their mouth like yeah. just staring at his hand whoa dude they won't let he won't let them call him ma- magus to his face yeah mm-hmm. and, like it's very much like oh no 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 that's like mr this is my father yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lord magus was my father mm-hmm. i'm alex call me alex call me alex hey you look cute uh <laughs> Then we see basically a montage of Alex having to deal with this, 1970, uh, 1972. He stops reading books about magic. He's mm-hmm. only he's only writing memoirs of his father and going through his father's letters. But he's also obviously like very upset by it because he tears up. He slashes his father's portrait with a knife. So he's haunted by his father, like trying to live up to him or trying to immortalize him and mm-hmm. also hating him. Yeah, yeah, for trapping him in this. Also, he's now approaching the end of his life. He saw his father do this, try to live forever and fail, and now he's at the exact same place. Yeah, he gets he gets so angry. There's the three panels of him. Uh, it kind, it's not the fisheye lens, but it, him obviously trying to communicate with it, Dream. It's obviously, the, I think it's the fisheye. It's, yeah, it's, him trying to communicate with Dream, and it goes from, you know, why won't you talk to me? Uh, and yeah. like, like, oh, I haven't been sleeping well. And to write like into this really empty threat, yeah. I could uh, torture you. Like, it, he it doesn't sound sincere at all. I've killed people before now. Has he? We haven't seen him do that. Maybe he has killed people. He probably but... has had to. Yeah. Yeah. He, he seems like the the comfortable evil. Right. He's kind of happy in his rut. But now he's noticing his ruts coming to an end. I mean, it's nice being extremely wealthy that's helpful you know and having power yeah wealthy powerful doesn't have to do much he just has to cast some spells and impress people and take their money and yeah yeah yeah. he's had a pretty decent life but he still thinks he should get more yeah yeah soon (laughs) and then finally 1988 alex finally makes a mistake and it's actually his lover who doesn't believe any of this is real, I noted, right? Mm-hmm. Alex is old and doesn't notice. He learned. He seems to have learned from his father, whatever you do, you keep this thing up, you keep guards around him, you don't let them sleep, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And now that he's getting older, he doesn't pay attention to the fact that this wheelchair has been pushed over that hermetic circle, breaking it. Mm-hmm. But as noted, there, there are two things keeping Dream in here. The hermetic circle keeps his... his uh, Incorporeal that's self? It. Yeah. And then the... And then the bubble, and then the bubble is for keeps his, his, physical, cor- his body. physical body. So he's yeah. got to get both opened. And now we see Dream being clever. And though the guards aren't allowed to actually dream, we'll notice that this guy is daydreaming. Yeah, he's daydreaming. His eyes are open, beach. and he's like, oh, I'd really just rather be on the beach. And Dream reaches into that and grabs, grabs a, hand a handful of sand. of sand, which is kind of his thing. Yeah. And then thud. 
And for the first time in 72 years, because basically for 72 years, Dream has been sitting in there doing nothing. I got to say, too, I really love Dream's hair. It's very (laughs) like hair metal, um, the crow kind of like. I'm really digging it a lot. I'm liking this haircut a lot. Uh, and then yeah, so he falls over in his in his uh, fishbowl. Yep. Um, and Tricks he's lying them into there. opening it up. Mm-hmm. The old, you know, pretend to be dead, playing dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess they're all debating whether or not to open it, and none of them notice this big streak in the line. Yeah. Or on the outside, and they've made it very obvious in the bottom panel of that page mm-hmm. that there's this streak breaking the line, and none of them are noticing it at all. And right. they they unlock it and. Like, you just get to see his eye opening. It's so scary. It's kind of great, yeah. And then he he pulls a pocket sand. He, uh, he, blows, blows, he blows sand at them, but it's because of his power. It's like this huge gust of sand. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes to get sand in their eyes, but no. he takes it to the next extreme. The Sandman trope is that a Sandman would come around and sprinkle dust into the eyes of children, causing mm. them to sleep. And that's why you'd wake up with little crumblies in your eyes mm. sometimes. Uh, the next page, what page number is this? Is this 31? Uh, this is page 40 page. in the Absolute Sandman. Oh, those pages are weird. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the page numbers don't I believe matter. it's page, page 30 by my numbering, which is the big, huge dream breaking out and entering into that big vortex, obviously like teleporting away. Right? And it looks like there's supposed to be sand in the vortex. But if you look at the sand, it then sort of becomes these um, skulls. And they most yeah. of them seem to have what looks like a third eye as well. So they've got the two eyes and then they've got a and, and it's either a reflection of light, but so many of them it's very specifically like between their two eyes. Hmm. It's kind of I, I think it's also to be very abstract, but it's yeah. abstractly very cool. Something that I noticed in this just as an appreciation of the art is just the his hair in this mm. one shot is so fantastic that there's a huge dark blotch in the back and then the lit up blue bit in the front. I love that. Mm-hmm. style that's there it works so great i just love this entire frame he's going into the vortex obviously cock first that's <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> that's yeah. how you go into a vortex uh well yeah that's cock how first. i would enter into a, some kind of big glowing hole yeah same i would choose to go cock first as well and then we have a uh, dream actually interacting with dreams he mentions how weak he is and he was also weak before this happened. This is something we're going to find out later. That he was weak, which is why he was able to be captured. So oh. now he's also been trapped for 72 years, separated from all of his power. He actually has to go into other people's dreams to get food. Uh, I'm really digging the fact that Marilyn Monroe is very obviously checking out his ass alongside me because it's a good ass. It's a pretty decent like, butt, yeah. It's a good, it's got the little V at the top. It's it's good. And Marilyn Monroe and I agree on that ass. Dat ass. Dat ass. Dat ass. So we have... Also, also <laughs> can we talk about the Tarzan shot In the bottom with right all the food? Of 31, yeah. I feel like that a lot sometimes. Like I just want to be running around naked with holding too much food. Um, yeah, he's not wearing too much of a looking cool in that shot. That's for no. sure. It's just kind of like leap. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get some, finally get some clothing, which uh, I guess because he's probably pulling things out of people's dreams are, are nice and modern now, even though he's has been out of touch for 72 years. Modern. Like. Well, uh, this is 88, 89. Yeah. So these are kind of punk rock, kind of gothic-y type clothes, you right? You hear it, but when I said modern, I made little finger quotes. Uh, this is my first time making a podcast, so <laughs> there may be times where I make finger quotes, and you just have to assume that everything I say has finger quotes. These sleepers all awaken or have their problem solved. Uh, yeah. the three of them, uh, Ellie Marston. Oh, yeah, she's she's, she's quoting the, from She's got a quote glass. from that same story. Uh, bang, just like a candle, is uh, I believe the Mad Hatter telling Alice that if that, you're just a dream, and if that king you're just a dream of the king and if that king wakes up you'll you will disappear bang like a candle Mm. or you'll go out bang like a candle meaning you are only alive for as long as that king is dreaming he's trying to convince alice of that she doesn't believe it but then gets very scared and like don't wake him up because you know you can't be too careful do you think 
this might be a spoiler, but mm. Will through the looking glass, do you think it's going to keep coming up in this story? Is it is it like required reading? Should I read through the looking glass? I, no, I've never read well, it. I think Neil, when he talks about stories, probably thinks that through the looking glass is probably required. But okay, I, I don't. I don't think it's neat. I haven't read it. Oh, okay. Yeah, but you get to look things up. I to remind the listener have only just read this, so it's completely new to me. Uh, I think if you're just aware of the general tropes, you'll be okay. okay. I can look up some specific stuff. I didn't know about the bang like a candle thing the first. Until I researched this, I did not know what that reference was. Okay. Uh, I didn't know lots of these references. You don't need to know them, but that's <laughs> what we're here for, is for me to tell you all this stuff. Uh, and of course, Unity dreamed she had a baby, which I, is basically the story telling us that, don't worry, that's not going to get dropped. She knew that that happened. Yeah. She says, my baby? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And now it's time for the thing that Dream wants the most, more than anything. Revenge. Not his tools. Not to go meet all his friends. No. Not to have some time off and recuperate, but vengeance. Uh, I think it's so interesting, too. Do you think Dream would have taken vengeance on Alex if Alex had just released him after his father died? Yeah, I don't know. Like, he's... So that's a question that you need to know Dream better to understand okay. yeah and i don't know dream he's just a guy who with really cool hair so, and a nice butt at this uh, point to me knowing what i know i think that the dream that was imprisoned this one that we are meeting right now probably still would have taken vengeance on him yeah okay like remember what i said here first thing out he needs food and clothes and then vengeance not get my tools back not regain my power not recuperate but now, now to go screw over the only person remaining that hurt me. But like, he spent seventy years trapped. Yeah, um, three score and ten years. Uh, he says seventy-two. Totally. Yeah. 72 yeah. Exactly. Um, and then, but if Alex had released him, he only would have been trapped for maybe fifty years or, or forty years, right? Uh, so we had. When, when did his father die? So he died in nineteen forty-seven. We saw his tombstone. Yeah. So that would be 21 years. So if that had happened when he died, had Alex let him go, would he have sought revenge? Yeah. I, I think he probably would have still. But like as bad a revenge as he's going to do to him? No, probably not. Yeah. It would probably be less. But, okay. But still, here's the thing. Alex doesn't, Alex doesn't know when he's been taught by his father these things are horribly dangerous. Oh, of course. And also the way that you deal with these things as these kind of mages who deal with dark powers – is you get a contract signed, right? You go, listen, here's the deal, because if I don't get a deal, you will just toy with me like yeah. a horrible, evil, powerful monster that thinks I'm nothing but an insect. Yeah. So that's what he wanted, and every time he tried, Dream went, no. Okay. Okay. So I don't know what would have <sighs> happened. I think Dream still would have messed him up. Uh, in the, in this last, uh, we're getting down to the very end here. Um, so we have uh, Alex is sleeping. He's napping. Yeah. And he starts to go into his dream. And here is where I, I mentioned earlier about the glasses. Mm -hmm. It becomes really apparent. There's there's times where when his face is afraid, he's looking over his glasses right. and you can see his eyes. Um, and then there's these times as he passes a mirror, you see his his old man glasses turn more into his middle-aged glasses. Yeah. They're a different shape frame. They cover the eye differently. Mm -hmm. And then he eventually becomes younger and younger and his glasses go back and back until like when it, all of that changes with yep. him. Also, I'm loving the cat. <laughs> yeah. The bottom of this page with the glowing eyes. Yeah. So good. Uh, another thing is the stairs down to, this is very reminiscent of the stairs down to Dream's prison chamber. Yes. Except the stairs go up into a tower. Yeah. So he's obviously dreaming, and in dreams, things get twisted around. And it's also not the same candle. He, I, I went back and looked. He had like a three-pronged candle, mm -hmm. but it still has the same kind of feel of a lot of the things that, that uh, Burgess had in his mansion where Dream was imprisoned. Yeah, and it's even like on a pedestal. The candle's on a pedestal um, that's really spooky looking. Also, I feel like this is just further proof that, um, cats are assholes <laughs> and they will lead you to your demise, which when I say cats is, are assholes, I love cats, mm -hmm. but I love cats because they're assholes. Don't worry. There will be a very cat centric story <sighs> eventually. Yes. Is it a cat? I'm asshole not, no spoilers. Story? No okay. spoilers. Okay. But it's a horror story. 
sort yes. of. I'm very excited about that. Um, I just, I love this cat. I'm really into this cat. Notice in the uh, in Dream's Tower, there's a hole in the wall. And it's better on a few of the later pages. And it actually looks like it's shaped kind of like his helm, right? Oh. It doesn't exactly have the thing dropping, but it looks like the helm. And it's got yeah. two holes for eyes. So those two stars for the eyes there. Okay. I um did not notice this. And I just noticed this now. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that the cat turns into Dream. Oh, yeah. I thought that the cat, I guess when I was reading this, I was... <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the cat goes into the room, yeah. climbs up onto the chair, yeah. and then... And then it's dream. And then, yeah, and then Alex's body blocks the chair, and then suddenly he's dream. I just thought this was a cat who was an asshole and oh. friends with dream. I didn't realize they were the same character. No, that um, is dream. I guess when I was reading it, I missed the bit where he jumps onto the chair. I guess I just thought he was standing in the corner of the room or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's even better. That's yeah. even better. Yeah, we will see various depictions of Dream throughout this entire Mm. series. Dream, the original furry. We're page 36 or so, and we have the largest amount of talking from our main character ever. And here's something I didn't notice, again, until this read-through, like until I was really reading these through, and I've read these a whole bunch of times. Mm. Dream doesn't seem to talk with his mouth. No, his mouth is closed in almost all the Everybody else opens their mouths in a comic when they talk, right? They have the little word balloon and the little line going straight to it. And he sometimes gets the lines going to his mouth. In this section, he doesn't at all. Uh, But even when you get a a dream word balloon with one of the little little lines of the balloon pointing to his mouth, his mouth tends to be closed. So he does not form words with his mouth, Mm -hmm. it seems which is really cool and subtle. I I don't remember it ever being pointed out by any characters or anything, but it's quite obvious when I read through it now that he's just, his mouth is closed and just these words are appearing. And and his speech bubbles are always in black with white writing, which is very similar then to his his eyes in comparison Mm -hmm. to other characters. Other characters in this, either their eyes are in shadow or they have uh, spooky glasses of some kind, or they'll have white eyes with black pupils, but he almost always has black eyes with white pupils. And so his speech bubbles seem to reflect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, well. the whole black and white thing, the cat that he became was black with the white eyes. Mm-hmm. That's his iconic look, is the that black and white look, okay. yeah, for sure. I'm digging it. I would cosplay this character for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lots of people have. Uh, I don't think I have the cheekbones for it, but makeup magic, I can make it happen. The line at the bottom of the page, Lord, what fools these mortal be, is quoting Puck from Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, Act 3, Scene 2. That's probably a favorite of Neil's, as you may find later on in the series. Dream mentions that he is Death's younger brother and that the entire planet is lucky he was caught and not them. Uh, he also asked for his the tools back. For the sake of your species. For the sake of your species. <sighs> right? I'm getting so, chills just thinking about death. So we've already seen the problems that a bunch of people have had because Dream got imprisoned. You can only imagine the problems that would happen if death got imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, there might be a story we could, yeah, there might be a death miniseries that we could do a podcast on as bonus material at some point if we feel like it and people want it dream asks for his tools back ruthven sykes took them as the only answer he gets and then dream gives him his gift eternal waking which is thinking that you've just woken up from a nightmare instantly thinking that you're safe and then realizing you've woken up into a nightmare which scares you into waking up into another nightmare which scares you into waking up in like it just repeats. I can forever. That, eternal waking life. is that he eternally wakes into a nightmare and then wakes into a nightmare. So you just never feel grounded. You like yeah. you get this moment of safety it's and then it's taken from awful. you. It's not even like a it's not even like just a living nightmare because then you never have that feeling of safety if he was just always living a nightmare. Yeah. But it's the moment of waking up that is like a false hope, like, oh, that's over now. And ah like and and so ah, that's so much worse. Like yeah. it's more deliciously evil to to put a little bit of hope in with your yep. uh with your terrifying melting faces and headless nurses and we once again we end with the house we began with oh i didn't even notice that like little bookends mm-hmm. yeah the others see him as basically uh, see alex as still dreaming he never wakes up mm-hmm. and we have uh dream saying and i have showed him fear the full line is in a handful of dust. We're here. It's all right. So wake up. Please wake up. Please wake up. 
please yeah uh dreams vengeance is terrible like that is and, and again we look at alex was trapped by his father yeah. right so we learn and and i don't think the series is going to shy away from this that yeah dream can be a dick like but he seeks vengeance pretty roughly. Alex inherits the sins of his father. Kind of, yeah. Even if he's not as inherently a bad person. He's a coward, really. I mm-hmm. think the real reason why he doesn't release Dream is he's he's cowardly as opposed to his father being power hungry. Yeah. Although when you see how terrible Dream is, I, I would be afraid of him as well. In, in, I, he's trapped, right? Yeah. He's oh. trapped in the same way that uh, Dream was trapped, really. Also, it's I think it's interesting that... Um, if, if we're assuming that Alex and Paul, the mm-hmm. uh, Daniel right. Craig character, yeah. it, that they're in a romantic relationship, I yeah. think it's interesting, too, that Alex would leave. So his father is power hungry in a magical sense. It seems to him that, like, at least to me, the whole wealth aspect, yes, he gained a bunch of wealth, but I don't think that was his main purpose. He just happened to gain that wealth alongside everything. Mm-hmm. His real, he wanted to be an immortal he wanted like power. magician. He wanted to be powerful in money's, a magical money's sense. Money's power for sure. sure. But yeah. Um, and then Alex doesn't really seem to be all that into that. Mm-hmm. And yet the next major man in his life, the person he brings in who eventually takes over and becomes his caretaker and is presumably his lover, doesn't believe in the magic, yeah. but is power hungry in a money sense. He yeah. takes over the business. And for him, he's related to it all because it's just a good way to scam people right. who are credulous. Yeah. Um, and I just like the idea that that maybe Alex would be like pathologically um, attracted to a man who was similar yet different from his father, not oh, yeah. a magician, not like completely the opposite mm-hmm. of that, but still wanted that power and needed that power. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. He sees a different version of his father, different enough that he can like it, but similar enough that he can like it. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, good yeah. insight. Well, I mean, and that's a completely new insight, as I did not pick up on their gay relationship while we did until you pointed out to <laughs> Oops. me. Now my gaydar is going to be on like full throttle for this okay. whole series. I'm going to assume every character is gay. I will say that Neil has won some LGBT awareness awards mm. uh, for his work on the Sandman. So there's definitely going to be some uh, some appearances by LGBT characters in yeah. here for sure. So we're done with issue one. What'd you think? Um, It's dark. Yeah. The... The art style is different than what I think I'm used to with mm-hmm. comics. Um, having read manga, which is a very different art style to this, right. and having read just some of the other ones I've read, it's not quite the same style, which is not a, it's not immediately appealing to me aesthetically, mm-hmm. uh, but I think I find myself very easily sinking into the style. Right. Like the first few pages I was reading, I was a little uh, maybe... When I say put off by it, that sounds too strongly, but just, I know exactly just it mean. felt like a weird style. And now mm-hmm. having read it to the end, I am less questioning of it and just into it. Yeah. Uh, so it just took like getting used to. Right. I was, like I said, I was like a superhero reader, mm-hmm. right? And I tended to be attracted to like the really flashy art style mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, so, I, you know, I was a big Todd McFarlane fan for a while. Uh, loved a lot of his stuff, loved the strong lines and the cool action. And so when I first started reading Sandman, I, yeah, I really had that same reaction. I was like, oh, this art style is weird and a little muddy and dark. And I don't really get What is up with the story. Holy crap, this is amazing. And it eventually, it pulled me out of demanding, fantastic, eye-pleasing art. Like the, I, I, I kind of wanted a certain type of art out of comics and Sandman fixed me of that, mm-hmm. that I can, it helped me appreciate a broader style. I will note that it tends to be uh, one artist or, or group of artists per arc, per story arc. So okay. we're going to get changes in art style as it progresses. But this story arc will continue on for a few issues. There were a few people switching off on this story arc. Okay. I, I think because they had some problems keeping up with uh, some deadlines. Oh. Okay, so issue two is called Imperfect Hosts. I want to make a prediction about it. Right? And Sasha has not read it and is going to make a prediction. Imperfect Hosts. I'm also looking at the cover art yeah. for it. Uh, and I've noticed in the cover art there is some German and Imperfect Hosts. And there's there's an owl. Um, so Can I give you a spoiler? Uh, well, no, because I want to guess without well, I mean the spoiler. For the cover. I want to guess without spoiler and then you can maybe give me the spoiler. Sure. We haven't figured out how to do this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so imperfect host. So I think that uh, this story is going to have uh, Dream uh, going after his 
precious belongings. And we know that the, um, I believe the helm was traded for that special amulet. Mm -hmm. But the mistress woman, Eleanor... Ethel Cripps. Ethel Cripps. Ethel Cripps. That's yeah. a good name. Ethel Cripps uh, still has the sand and the ruby. She definitely has the ruby because she was wearing it. I don't know if it... No, but... Eth- Ethel took the ruby and the protective amulet. Oh, okay. Right? So they traded. The they traded... <gasps> I okay. think I think she took the sand, but uh, but the, the, definitely they the didn't helm. Say where it went. The the helm was was the traded was to, the to the demon. So I think Imperfect Host is going to be him going and finding his things, mm-hmm. and I don't know what the host part about it is, yeah. but um, eh, eh, maybe they're not so nice to him. Maybe they weren't good hosts to his things. Maybe he <laughs> goes to stay with them, and they're not very polite to him, or they, you know, maybe something like that. I don't okay. know. Well, we'll have to see next episode. You've been dreaming of the Sandman, issue one, Sleep of the Just. For links, images, and show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming. Rate and review us on iTunes and Google Play Music. And please tell your friends. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. I'm Jill Fulgham. Thanks so much for listening. It's time to wake up. <laughs>